Hey guys, this is Kyle Klammer. And this is Zach Welch. And this is Good Life Bow Hunter, the official podcast of the NBA. Here we are again, another episode. It's good to be back once again. We've got uh, uh, a repeat guest on this evening. Um, Brian, you want to go ahead and, and uh, just introduce yourself again and um, for anybody that didn't listen to the first episode, which if you haven't, you should go back and listen to it, but um, just go ahead for just quick intro. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. So I've got a podcast, Eastman's Elevated, that's all about hunting next-level information. And um, uh, I let's see, I started backcountry hunting. Um, gosh, I've, I've been doing it my whole life, but really when I moved to Montana about when I was 20 and just immersed myself in it, the, the blue-collar bow hunting and paying my dues and learning the lessons, and through that, gained a lot of experience and able to find some success along the way and then start writing to guys and, and, and podcasting. And so you can find that Eastman's elevated or find any of my writing on Eastman's, but yeah, it's, it's been a, a fun journey. So yeah, thanks for having me on guys. Definitely. Um, yeah, no, if you guys haven't checked out, uh, the Eastman's elevated podcast, uh, definitely encourage you to give it a listen. Anybody that's interested in Western bow hunting and just, you know, learning more about archery. Um, you know, you talk about so many different things and, um, it's always a great listen. So a lot of, a lot of good guests on there and just really good information. So yeah, be ready to go deep down the rabbit hole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's for sure. No, that's good. Um, but, uh, well, Hey, I, I think so for this episode, I guess, well, real quick, um, sorry, Zach, any uh any nba announcements we need to touch on i mean i know we got halsey i don't think so there's there's nothing new we've already talked about halsey and everything just pay attention to the facebook page and hopefully we'll have a exact schedule for us pretty soon to let you know what time the events are going to be going on and stuff but other than that nothing new to add okay sounds good yeah i think let's just dive into it then um you know i we'd uh i'd sort of ask brian you know um for this episode, last time we kind of talked more about like high country mule deer hunting, just sort of having your gear dialed, all those types of things. And um, this episode, I really kind of wanted to focus on elk hunting specifically, um, not only because Brian is a very accomplished elk hunter, but also because he he kind of has a I would I would say a very unique style um, of elk hunting. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just going to kind of open it up, Brian. And I don't know if you just want to talk about your, um, you know, how long you've been elk hunting, your experiences, um, just sort of broadly, maybe just a kind of a brief overview. And then we can kind of get into maybe some of the little more details and stuff, I guess. But so yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, man, I love hunting elk. Elk hunting has to be some of the most thrilling hunting out there you can do. And and Kyle, I've seen you be successful on elk, right? You have elk out there in Nebraska that you guys hunt around. And then Zach, do you elk hunt? I I actually killed a bull out here in Nebraska. Not, I haven't killed one yet, but <laughs> hoping to this year. Kyle's hoping to this year that he's going on his first elk hunt. So. Oh man, right on. You are in for a treat. Like the most exciting, thrilling hunt, uh, animals to hunt with a, with a bow and arrow. And then during the rut is when they give us most of our bow seasons, you know, so we get to hunt them at, at the absolute best time. And I mean, um, you know, I can hear bugles on recordings and I can watch bugles on TV, but there's nothing like a bull bugling inside a hundred yards. It's like, uh, almost like lightning and thunder as it kind of rattles you to your soul when they bugle in front of you. And I've just never had that kind of adrenaline rushes when I hunt elk. And so, um, yeah, you guys are in for a treat, but I absolutely love it. That's really what I cut my teeth doing. Um, See, after after high school, I really put all my focus into to wrestling. And, and so I was training, I was running, I was cutting weight, I was wrestling, I was trying to win a state title. Like, I put all this effort into it. And, and after it was all said and done, I didn't go on and wrestle in college. And so, like, I had all this energy as a kid. Like, uh, I, I had found this passion in something that the, the harder I worked at it, the better I got. And that, you know, the, the more you did it, the better you got. And it was like this 10,000 hours that you had to put into it to be super proficient at it. And I hunted as a kid and I always really liked it. I picked up a bow at um, 13. I worked all summer long for my dad building his house and he bought me my first bow. 
um, I killed a cow elk at like that first year out in the woods and, and my family was all rifle hunters. So they thought I was absolutely crazy. I don't think anybody thought I had a chance to kill anything with a bow. I think they were, they, they were thinking, uh, you know, that, that, that bow hunters aren't that successful. And this was back in Washington hunting blacktails and Roosevelt. So I killed a cow that first year, killed a, a buck the year after. And so I really fell in love with hunting um, but I had this wrestling and school and sports and everything else. I was trying to do girls, you know, whatever else kind of trouble I could get into. But uh, after that, you know, I was looking for for like um, outdoor opportunities. And in Washington, it has some good hunting and fishing. But, uh, you know, there was a, a big population there. And I had always heard about out west, you know. And so my my dad had been out hunting in Montana in this small town of Ennis, Montana. And he'd tell me stories about it. And so that resonated and it was like, man, I really got to go check this place out. So I drove out with a couple buddies and, um, Ennis, Montana, if you don't know, it's in Southwest Montana, sits on the edge of the park. We get gigantic elk migrations that come through. It is the elk Mecca of the West, you know, at least one of them, there's a bunch of them, but Ennis, Montana is a pretty good place to land. And I just happened to land here at 19 after high school construction job and just immersed myself in the elk woods. Like I got here, man. And I mean, they'd give me a general season every single tag, every single year for a bull. And then they let me hunt five, six weeks with a bow and five, six weeks with a rifle, you know? And so, you know, experience is like one of the best teachers. It, it teaches you how to find elk, what you can get away with, what you can't. Um, you make a lot of mistakes along the way. And so through elk hunting, I got pretty proficient at it. And, um, and then I started traveling to other, other units and other states and, uh, other habitats to really test my skills against, um, elk in different places. And, and so, um, you know, through that, I've just had some of the best challenges. And I've always said a public land bull in the, the grounds of Montana and probably throughout the West is one of the most prized sought after trophies. And it's really tough to accomplish. And so um, through the years, I guess I'll just get into it, like my some of my tactics, and then I'll let you guys roll here for a little while and ask me a couple questions. But through this, I started, like most guys do, watching Primo's videos and watching them call huge bulls in, and I thought, man, that looks pretty cool. And so I, um, I started to get better at cow calls and bugles and scenarios and getting in front of these elk and called a lot of bulls in for myself and for buddies and, and killed some bulls, but as I started to progress as an elk hunter, I started to look towards these bigger, uh, older age class bulls, these big mature six points, these herd bulls. And it, it just seemed like during the rut, these bulls that were five, six, seven years old, they don't make many mistakes. They don't come into a call easily, I'll say. You have to catch these bulls in the right mood. And so it's like maybe one time in the, in the rut, one time in a, a month period of hunting them, uh, you catch this bull with the right attitude get to the right spot and you were able to call them in. But what I found was, is when I, I was just calling in a lot of these satellite bulls, a lot of these smaller sixes. And so when I started to target these bigger bulls, it, it wasn't working real well because you had to find them in the right mood. And sometimes, man, I traveled 10, 15 miles in the wilderness, maybe more just looking for a good shooter bull and finally find one and get set up in front of them, have my wind right, make a couple cow calls. In hunting high pressure areas, that bull would gather up his his cows he'd call back and forth to me but he'd take his cows right out of the drainage and so like i finally decided if i'm gonna kill these older age class bulls i'm gonna have to spot and stock them i'm gonna have to shadow the herd and wait for my time to go all in and move in just never let these elk know i'm there because i also realized that when i call in elk these things come in on pins and needles. Like they come in looking for that cow or looking for danger. And so they're real aware any movement whatsoever and they're gone and they bolt. And a lot of times these bulls would come in and they'd be facing me or wouldn't give me a good angle. So you finally call in the bull you want and then you don't have a good angle at them. And so I, I just, um, I had to make myself leave my calls because it's always you know, a fail safe or a backup plan if you're not finding out the call. But I finally had to leave my calls in my truck and then just go out there with no calls. And through that, man, I have, I have like figured out these tactics and techniques to chase things, things around and be successful year after year on, on big six points in, 
same with my buddies. They, they've adopted the same strategy as I have, and they, they move, they shadow that herd, they know what they can get away with, what they can't, and they know when to close in and seal the deal on a bull. So, man, that, that kind of sums up like my elk hunting and kind of my journey um, and, and how I approach hunting these things. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of what I was sort of getting at with the, you know, the, you know, you sort of have a unique perspective on that. And I just, I think that's really cool. Cause you know, I feel like all the, a lot of the videos and stuff you see, you know, people calling bulls in and stuff. And obviously that happens. Cause you know, like you said, you call in a lot of, um, you know, satellite bulls and those things and just trying to catch that big bull in the right, the right mood, but just, you know, didn't always happen. And so, I said, I think that's really cool. Just the way you sort of adapted to it. And, um, you know, Brian, talk about what, what States have you elk hunted in, you know, where, uh, you know, what, you know, just talk about maybe some of your memorable hunts, um, things that sort of stick out, um, anything like that. That'd be great. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I apply all throughout the West elk hunt, elk, good elk hunts are pretty sought after to where everybody wants to hunt them with their bow and their limited amount of tags. So, you know, I've had the opportunity of hunting elk in three different states for myself in Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, but really I'm given, you know, a Montana general season tag every year. And, and usually, you know, that's going to eat up the majority of my September. I've started hunting uh, Idaho and Montana yearly um, and kind of hunting both of those states. But really, this Montana general season elk tag has kept me busy. There's so many places to explore, even in my home state of Montana, so many mountain ranges to discover and to learn. And we've got good genetics and big bulls. And so I've never really felt the need to try to go somewhere else and and find um, satellite bulls or smaller six points just because, you know, I'm, I'm uh, spoiled here in Montana as we have such good bulls, such great genetics, big dark horned, uh, heavy mountain bulls and just like uh, uh, great mountains to go hunt them in. And it's a real challenge. And so um, I've really set my sights on Montana and traveling around and hunting these different mountain ranges. And um, I apply for different tags in different states and, and I've been building points and eventually I'll draw that good elk tag. And, and through all these years of building this experience, like I, I've been able to, to hone my craft. I've been able to sharpen my skills. So now when I draw one of these really good units down there where I've got a chance at a, a 375 bowl or just say a giant six point or whatever the case is, like, like I've got the skill set to go and kill one of those bulls. And I, I've also, you know, I, I've killed good bulls. And so I can, I can hold off and look for that next level. And so that's kind of the plan and the goal. But some of my most memorable hunts are Montana just hunting the mountains of Montana. Um, I, I'm fortunate in that, you know, now I get quite a bit of time to to hunt elk around, but it wasn't always that way. I, I still hold down a, a carpenter job and, and a lot of times I'm a weekend warrior, but in Montana, they give me six weeks of general season. That's six weekends. And when I can add a, a Friday or a Monday or a Thursday, Friday, whatever the case, three, four days of hunting, every single weekend during elk season, like that adds up to a lot of days of just going for it. And I'm, I'm pretty effective in these three or four day hunts just because I can hunt so hard. I don't burn out. And then I get to go back and I get to reset at my house and take the information that I've gained and learned and kind of hit the maps again and, and, and make a new game plan and come back fired up. And so, man, I mean, just memorable hunts, they are all so memorable. I mean, last year's elk hunt sticks out in my head, and it's one that um, I was fortunate enough I filmed it for Eastman's, came out on the Outdoor Channel. But, uh, yeah, I, I drew a coveted tag in Montana and had this hunt and um, planned it right. I got um, – there was a storm coming in, and in this part of Montana, uh, you can't get stuck in the mud. The mud is – um, it, you'll sink down to your axles. I've blown up a tranny out there been stuck in the mud. If there's any slope to it, you slide off. It's just that clay, no base to it. So when it rains, it muds up really bad. And like I say, I've blown up one or possibly even two trucks. I've hunted this place a couple times, but, uh, this place is gnarly when it rains, but I timed it right. And I got in before the storm like a day before the storm and everybody knew that the mud was coming. It was like, well, I'm here for 10 days. It's like, go ahead and rain, go ahead and mud up. I'm in the middle of it. Put myself in a good spot 
just with the um, mega party of elk and not just, you know, a few cows and a six point. I'm talking uh, uh, so many groups of cows and six points. There were six point bulls that I didn't even get to stock because I ran out of time on the hunt. They were everywhere and there was nobody around. I was in the middle of it. I had it all to myself. Um, so I was just making plays, um, trying to shoot a really good six point bull. And in the end, um, the bull I ended up killing, I hunted him. This is the third time I'd ran into this bull. He had a dragon bugle and I ran into him close to the first couple days I was there and I chased his bugle for a little bit and then he shut up and I didn't, I didn't want to go chase him into the timber in there, not knowing his exact position or where he was bedded, just figured I'd get a play on him at night and, uh, no play on that bull at night or I, I can't remember where I ended up. And then, um, I caught him day five or day six and caught the dragon bugle again and just knew it was him. And um, I got in between him and his cows and he came screaming by me in the timber and he was bugling hard at these cows. I think maybe he had a bull come in on him or he was fired up at a cow in estrus. Maybe he was moving him a drainage, but he was cruising through this timber and I had him in bow range and clicked him a couple times and he just wasn't stopping. And I didn't make a sound, didn't let him know I was there. I had a good win. He rolled those cows and pushed him over, ended up getting dark. I think that night I had, um, I walked half the night to get back to my camp. I had, I had gone, I don't even know how, like 16, 18 miles that day. Uh, something crazy out and through there and it's just kind of broken open country so I walked for half the night to get back to camp and then woke up early the next day and um, shot in and sure enough I hear the dragon bugle and get down in there and there's a little six point he's um got a few cows and I had him kind of in bow range and just wasn't the bull I was looking for and I I backed out had to work my way around him and then um, the dragon kept bugling kept working my way in and I got hung up this um five point one of his satellites was feeding off the perimeter of the herd and he bedded down and i got to like 50 yards on that bowl he didn't know i was there and he was just laying there but i couldn't get any closer to the herd and the herd was just up on this little plateau and i heard that bull bugle but i still wasn't sure those those elk were there and finally that satellite got up and worked his way to those other elk and as soon as he did, the big dragon bull got torqued. He was so mad that that satellite was around. So all of a sudden, there's this ruckus of bulls chasing and bugling and screaming. And like, now's my time and I'm trying to make the plateau. But it's just step by step. You really got to slow down when those elk are around. And um, I got in close. I, I, I had him in range at one point, And then he just didn't give me a good angle. And he bedded right there. And so he betted he was like 60 yards somewhere there close. And I couldn't get any closer because I could see cows faces in the grass at 45 yards. So I just held, I had a good win. Um, two and a half hours, I waited for that bull to stand. And so he stood right on the outside of my range. And um, sure enough, just walked out of my life, just walks dead away from me. No shot. Just like so typical, just elk hunt. You're just playing the game. You're just trying to get an opportunity. And he cut down the hill and I was able to reposition, make a play on him, 35 yard shot, put it on him. And just like a, a really good, heavy, older bowl, um, just a great six point and a great hunt. Um, just incredible, dude. They're so fun to hunt. Um, elk hunts, they're... Um, I can say I'm so fortunate I get to do it every year, but they're the most thrilling hunts I have. Uh, so exciting and so tough to keep your calm in that moment too, but that's what I love about it. Definitely. That's uh, exciting. <laughs> For sure, man. I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice. <laughs> oh, love it. That's awesome. Brian, uh, do you do anything for like scouting or or I guess it, it depends what area you're hunting. Like if you have a, you know, a coveted tag or a general tag, what are some of your strategies that you use to scout elk? Or if you have any tips for anybody that is maybe looking to, you know, get their, get their eyes on a bull before season. Yeah. Good question. So, um, elk are real nomadic in the mountains and so understanding that that they move through the mountains and that there's a bunch of good elk features through the mountains but at any one time, those elk features can be empty of elk. You can go up a drainage, and it can be the best elk features, but there's no elk in there. They're on a different part of their circuit, their network, and a different basin. And so 
you know, it's identifying elk country, but scouting elk is tough because where you find them in the summer is not exactly where you're going to find them during the rut. But what I do like to do, what, what I like to do is I, uh, put boots to ground, get into country. I like to find ridge lines and vantage points and drainages and just get familiar with the country and how I'm going to hunt it. I always like to see elk numbers when I'm scouting. Mostly I'm looking for um, cows and calves and groups of elk. And then I'm looking for sign. I'm looking for rubs on trees that's going to be during the rut. Or I'm looking at at used wallows, elk trails, things of that nature. And so I'm not looking for a specific bull. The bulls are going to be bachelor herded up and living in the, the most rough and rugged country. I was just in the crazy mountain range uh, last weekend and um, hiking way up there at 10,000 feet and found seven bulls all hanging. They were surrounded by rock and the one little green avalanche shoot all just living up in there. Um, but but that during the rut, those bulls are all going to come down and rut those cows. So a lot of where the cows are hanging out are on the best feeding features right now. A lot of those elk are going to rut around those areas. So it's good to see elk numbers. And, and then when you see cows, you just know that bulls are going to make an appearance during the rut. And so when, I, when I'm scouting for elk, um, I like to put boots to ground, but a lot of it is just e-scouting, like just trying to, to mark trail hit. Like it's amazing how effort will separate you. And elk are where humans aren't. It doesn't matter how much pressure they are. They find the little folds in the land where people aren't, where they're unpressured where they can just be elk and rut in there and so it's your job to try to find those through e-scouting through the onyx and google maps and you're basically you're identifying elk country and, and then you have to be nomadic during season like it's a it's a pipe dream to think you're going to go into a place and be into elk for 10 days in that one spot. You know, you have to be mobile and, and be able to move. And so a lot of my elk hunting is hunting a spot for two, three days and then moving drainages. Or a lot of times I'll go all the way up a drainage and it's really good elk country and I won't see an elk. They're not in there. So I just hike myself right back out and I start up a new drainage the next day. Like the biggest challenge with elk is locating them. So I like to identify on my map when I'm doing my research, I like to mark out like a mile from each road and I'll just draw lines a mile from each road. Okay. I want to get out of these areas. So now I, I've cut my areas down to where I'm not hunting around a mile from e any road where I'm looking to hunt. I like to mark a big circle around like a trailhead. That's a two mile circle. Everybody leaves from a trailhead. Everybody parks at the end. They go walk up a trailhead. You need to separate yourself at least a couple miles from these. I uh, look for trails. I try to find basins that are off trail. The trails are the the highways of the backcountry as far as as far as horse guys and backpacking guys. So like finding basins off trails, and then I'm just looking for that neon green on Google Earth. I'm looking for the bottoms of draws. I'm looking for slides and shoots, and looking for feeding features. And then you know. Even though I'm a, a spot and stock hunter, like I still get to take part in the rut. Like bulls bugle no matter if you bugle at them or not. I've had nights where I hear 300 bugles, you know, with them going off. And so um, I use my eyes and vantage points. Usually during elk hunting, I'm running a mobile vantage point. So I'm hiking through country, looking at features as I'm going, every little new opening. But I'm also listening and I'm listening for bugles. And if I can just hear a faint bugle, I will walk in that direction. Uh, elk like being around other elk. So if you can find a bull, I mean, you know, sometimes it's only one group of cows and one bull, you know, that's not where the party is. Where the party's happening is where you got 150 to 200 elk and a bunch of bulls ripping around bugling. And you find that scenario when you just walk towards bugles. Like sometimes you just walk yourself into the absolute elk party. Yeah, no, that's, uh, <laughs> man, you're just getting me, I'm just getting so pumped right now. I'm just listening to you talk about all this, but <laughs> really looking forward to this fall. I can't wait to get out there. And, um, Brian, uh, you know, I know we, uh, you know, talk about scouting and putting boots to the ground and, you know, I was actually thinking about this today. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of cool. Um, seems like, you know, especially in our, uh, hunting realm here um i feel like it's just been you know i know people have been doing it for a long time but it seems like there's been just a really big emphasis on it in the past i don't know five years maybe um just about conditioning being in good shape like just taking care of yourself like 
um, being ready to be in the mountains. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you can just touch on, touch on that, Brian, I know you're big on, you know, conditioning and making sure your body's ready and just, and, and not only, um, you know, I feel like this is kind of obvious for me to say, but, but, um, but just how that helps you when you're hunting elk, because, you know, I know the, the style that you do and, and, you know, and how you hunt them, you know, conditioning is a must. And, um, I don't know if you could just touch on that a little bit. That'd be great. Yeah. So, um, conditioning, physical fitness has always been a huge part of my hunting and it, you know, early when I started doing it, people thought I was crazy that you're running for elk hunting. Um, doesn't make any sense. Um, but it, it, it has so many benefits when you're elk hunting and you just enjoy your time more out there when you're in good shape and you can push yourself. But a lot of these long elk hunts or long mountain hunts, I mean, elk like to walk uphill. They're always walking uphill. Uh, so you have to follow them. So these mountain hunts that go these longer durations, these five to 10 day hunts, it's day after day after day uh, uh, putting in those miles. It's a true test of endurance. And it it's endurance for your body um, but your body is always stronger than your, or, or your mind is always stronger than your body. Like the, the thing that's going to fail is like your, you know, once your legs start to hurt, it's uh, doubt starts to creep into your mind. It's easy to give in. It's easy, easy to give up or make an excuse. And, and, and through physical fitness and training and whatever it is, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, I think it's just something that you can keep with. You have to make it a lifestyle. For me, I found trail running. I run back pack trips in the summertime for scouting and different things that gets my back ready for backpack and for me running you know I ran a lot of marathons when I first started I started like everybody 5k's 10k's half marathons marathons but that pavement you know it take a beating on me and um I, I started to find like in the mountains it's not about the miles it's about the elevation the elevation is what gets a guy and so I try to run elevation every day and just get my body ready for climbing every day in day out and like i say these five to ten day hunts these are these are more grueling than any marathon or ultra marathon a guy can do because it's day after day after day and and really what what wears on a guy too is that that mental side and through physical fitness you know there's a discipline that comes along with it of making yourself do it you know, when you say you're going to go for a run going for a run or you say you're going to do it four days a week you go for it four days a week and I get a lot of mental toughness through that of just making myself do that year year long, uh, whether it's snowing out, whether the wind's blowing, whether it's raining out, uh, you know, negative 10 out, I, I go for my run and I get it in. And so when season gets here, I've got this mindset, of, you know, I put all this training in, I, I put all this work. Um, there's nothing that can't stop me. My mind is endless in the mountains. There's no... There's no peak you can show me that I can't get to. There's no mileage that I can't do. There's no drainage that I that I can't get a bull out of. I believe I can get a bull out of anywhere because I, I train so hard. And that self-belief is a lot of times what what kills the bull for me. You know, it just pushes me to go farther. Uh, you know, if I'm not into elk, you know, being able to have the fitness to hike in, you know, another drainage. And then and then when you kill a bull, these solo bulls to get a 700 pound bull down and have to break them down by yourself, try to roll them around the big six point rack and get uh, each side and all the meat and get it hung up. And we're hunting in September. And then, you know, it's it's bare minimum three trips out of the mountains. And so, um you know, you have to be tough if you want to be an elk hunter. And uh, I, luckily, I learned that early on, and I put a bunch of effort into my physical fitness. And I didn't really, I didn't realize the benefits I was going to get out of mental strength and mental toughness. But but my mental side is everything for me. Like just uh, believing I can do it, trusting in my body, knowing I can push another day. That's everything, man. It, that kills every bull. Uh, that that I harvest is usually comes down to grit and determination. Even the bull last year, I think I was seven days into it or, you know, it starts to feel like it's mission impossible, but eventually, you know, I keep putting that effort in, it comes together, um, but just comes down to my training and being able to trust my body and trust my mind that I can get there and do it. So yeah, super important to me, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Made a lot of good points there. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more than, you know, you say that the, the mind's going to do what the body tells or the body's going to do what the mind tells it. You know, your mind's going to be 
your most powerful tool back there in the back country and you know physical fitness you can talk about running lifting all that and what it comes down to is just building that mental toughness forcing yourself to do something every day that you don't really want to do but you know you should do because it's going to pay off dividends months down the road when you're out there in the back country and I think that if you're doing an elk hunt definitely or hunt out west that's it's absolutely critical I that's uh that's something I really have to commend you on because you're, you're always talking about it on Instagram and your podcasts and everything. Well, yeah. And like, uh, even stalking these bulls, it's like the most grueling, intense thing. Like, uh, it's like holding a yoga pose for hours. Like that bull, I waited two and a half hours for him to stand. You don't think my knees and my back were getting so like holding in that same position. Like it, it is absolutely grueling out there. And, um, yeah, to be able to stand up to the test, uh, it, it just really helps out. So yeah, now good on you guys putting importance on it and realizing it. Uh, back in the early day, they used to look at me like I was crazy when I wanted to train for hunting, but it is an endurance sport. It, um, it, it, and anybody that doesn't believe you haven't come with you and carry a backpack, you know, it, it grinds on people, you know? So, uh, yeah, we have to be ready for that backcountry test and, and, and training and trail running is just the way I get my body ready. Definitely. No, I, yeah, I just, you know, like I just kind of mentioned, it just, I, I just think it's really cool how it, it just seems like, you know, maybe I'm just late to the game, but it seems like within the last five years or so, there's just been a big, big emphasis and push on that. And, you know, a lot of people really harping on physical fitness and, you know, sort of, you know, bow hunting, treating bow hunting as uh, mountain bow hunting specifically as, you know, it's a, it's a sport. I mean, it is, and you gotta, you know, you, you don't go try to compete in the Olympics and swimming and, you know, never, never go swim in a pool. So why would you think that you could go, you know, run up and down mountains and chase elk and mule deer and whatever without, you know, without being in good shape as well. So I just think it's uh, very important. And um, like I said, like, you know, like Zach said, you know, I appreciate your insight on it because yeah, you definitely, you definitely uh, um, practice what you preach in that regard, I guess. So for sure. <laughs> um with that being said, you guys, uh, I'm going to, let's take a quick break. I'm going to re send out another, um, link here and, um, we'll restart this up in just a second, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. We're back. Um, it's just, uh, Zach, you want to take it away? I got a couple, couple questions. We'll just roll right into. Yep. So Brian, we've kind of touched on how you hunt elk you know, a little different than, you know, the average person does with the calling and stuff. You, you love the spot and stock game. And I guess to kind of get into that a little bit more specific, I've, I've heard you mention it a couple times about coyoting elk. And when you, we, when you talked about that, what came to mind for me was exactly how we hunt antelope out here in Nebraska. You know, you're following a group of elk and you're waiting for them to bed and you're waiting to make your move until, until that bull makes its move you want to talk about that a little bit and how I guess that changes with the different terrain you're hunting, like from mountains to say somewhere like the breaks or somewhere more open country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's this dance or this art when you're hunting elk, uh, of being able to keep with them, uh, of not getting busted and, and it does take some practice to learn, but you know, basically I'm trying to locate these elk and, and usually when I locate them in the morning, they're, they're feeding throughout the night. So in the morning they're feeding a little bit, but then they start their move and they're going from, from feeding to bedding. And, and elk love to travel great distances. It's one of their biggest assets. They're nomads. And so, you know, they can very easily move five miles from feeding to bedding. And so this a lot of times is when you're catching elk. Like if you catch them first thing in the morning, they may be still and feeding in their meadows where you have a chance to, to creep in into their feeding features. The thermals, which are the, the thermal winds, are usually dropping down the mountain or down the breaks that time of the morning. And so it's a good chance to kill a bull, but you got to be right on them because it, it, it isn't many minutes of that sun being up when those elk decide they're going to get moving and they're going to start going towards their bedding zone. And as they travel, to their bedding zone they've just got a, a way they travel through the mountains and so a lot of times this is when you catch elk is maybe on their feeding feature but by the time you can get there they're in transition and so you're just trying to keep with these elk you're trying to see where they end up 
and and also look for an opportunity to to get in front of a herd with a good wind to cut them off to to take advantage of, of anything you see like sometimes the the bull will leave the herd to chase another bull or to go to a wallow like this is a good chance to slip in and try to get in between the herd but basically i'm just trying to 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 keep my my eyes on the elk as much as i can and keep my wind right and keep with them and as they're traveling to this this bedroom or where they're going to bed down for the day once they get there and they usually like to bed in the thickest thickest nastiest timber they can find i mean sometimes they'll they'll bed in a in an opening or if they're living in open landscape but for the most part they want to get in cover and bed down and and uh so they work into these trees but right as they work in as they're getting ready to bed down and the whole time they're moving really they're feeding as they're moving but once they get to their place they're gonna bed they really like mill around they're milling around feeding they're kind of looking for beds and that bull's just making circles around those cows checking them and bugling and trying to keep track of his of his harem you know so it's a good chance when they start to slow down and and mill around if you can keep with that herd then you got a pretty good chance to try to move in and make something happen on that bull and and when i move in i'm just taking what the elk give me Uh, i'm not stalking reckless i can't give myself away um, and so I'm just taking what the herd gives me. I'm keeping my eyes on all the cow's heads, the bull's heads. I'm trying to use the topography to get myself in close, unseen, uh, really keeping a, a, you know, paying attention to the winds and the way they're, they're moving through the mountains and what's happening there. Like you're just assessing all this. And a lot of this just comes down to instincts and making decisions. And the more you do it, the better your instincts get, the better that your decisions uh, you make are, but you you just kind of take what the elk give you, never giving yourself away to the herd. And if a elk looks in my direction, I just freeze and I I hold still for as long as it takes. I mean, there's been 20, 30 minutes. I'm sure there's been an hour I've held completely still because a cow is looking at me or a young bull. You just don't want to give yourself away. So you take what the herd gives you and, and stalking elk it's not like muleys where you can make this thought out, methodical, planned out play. Of, this is how I'm going to do it. And this is how I'm going to get close. Like by the time you get to the elk, it's all changed. It's like all different every time you get there. So it's like this adapt. Every time you get close to the elk, you're adapting and you're, you're evolving to what they'll give you. Um, adapting to what they'll give you and so like every time you're trying to just peek over the rise and you're not trying to give yourself away and trying to get eyes on those elk and maybe you see the situation and there's some topography that'll put you close and so then you make a move on that topography or maybe you get inside 100 yards and there's nothing more you can do you got to just let these elk walk over the next hill and then try to catch them again and so it's like this it's like stocks on elk, um, they can last three miles, four miles, where you're just constantly making plays in and out and just taking what they'll give you, not give yourself away. They walk out of range. Or a lot of times you're getting yourself in range of the cows and just letting things happen. And sometimes that bull comes to your side of the cows. The majority of times they have a knack for just making the right move and staying on the outside of the cows on the other side of you, you know, and not that they know you're there, that they're doing it on purpose. Um, you know, they're big bulls are just tough to kill and they're always moving too. So like that bull, I told the story of like, he got up and walked away from me when I had him, you know, in bow range right there. I thought he was going to get up and turn broadside and give me a shot. And that just wasn't the case. And so you're just constantly adapting as you're hunting these elk. And then probably the best chance to kill an elk. I, I believe a lot of times I like to watch him coyote the herd. Uh, I won't get an opportunity at the bull I want. And they put away in some thick cover. If I don't know exactly where that bull's bedded, I don't go in on them because the odds are that I'm going to go into that thick timber and they're going to see me before I see them. There's 30 cows in there. They're looking in every direction. The only time that changes is when I can see where the elk are bedded and I can make, you know, a methodical play to put myself in close. And I know there aren't cows, you know, then I'll, then I'll go and try to stock a, a bedded bull, you know, if he's in the right position, uh, position, but most of the time I don't follow him into that timber and the best chance to kill him is in the evening. So it's, you watch him go in the thick cover, you haven't busted them. You still know where elk are and then you wait. And then throughout the day, as the the shadows start to get long in the evening, these elk will come out of that hole and they'll start to feed. Elk need meadow grass. They come out to meadows to feed. So, So when they come out to feed in the evening, you know, that's your chance. And the last hour in the evening or 
probably the most consistent winds of the day traveling downhill from again those thermals because as those hills start to shade and those mountains start to shade that cools that air and that air starts to drop and you got this constant cooling of air and dropping because now the shadows are so long on the hillside they're not getting any more sunlight so that last hour that good downhill wind and then you got the elk where you can see them you can keep tabs on them you can watch that bull and watch those cows heads and see which way they're looking and if they're looking for danger if they're just there feeding and being elk and rutting and you just close in and slip in and that last hour i've killed a lot of bulls that's a good opportunity right in their feeding features so those are some of the opportunities or some of the the ways i play it when i when i find elk that's Excellent tips there, Brian. Um, you know, kind of keeping on the same lines, you know, so when you're, you know, when you're getting in there, you're, you know, you get, uh, getting close, you're, um, you have a shot opportunity. Um, do you, I mean, do you have any specific tricks, tips on, um, you know, getting your bow drawn, um, you know, getting in the right position to, to be able to make a good shot, like, those types of things, you know, I, I think about, you know, specifically, you know, Zach just mentioned antelope, um, you know, <laughs> I always feel like, you know, those antelope are incredibly difficult to draw on. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I would assume that elk are maybe not quite as, as, as much of that, but um, I'm sure that there are some, you know, tricks and things that, that you've learned over the years. And I'm sure that you've probably been busted by some over the years and had some runoff that you maybe wish you could have done things different. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, good insight. That um, you're right. Those those antelope are so tough to get drawn on and oh, open. And boy, they, they? they're just gosh. Um, but yeah, you know, all animals they catch movement. You know, more so than than camera camel pattern. And sure, you can stick out um, or, or look odd to them, but they really pick up on movement. And movement is when animals react. And so, with with elk or with any animal. Like, like I've just learned this, this patience over the years and the more patient I, like I hunt elk aggressively. I'm constantly trying to get into them. I'm constantly trying to make something happen, but again, it isn't reckless. And when I'm trying to draw on a bull and I, I make this mistake too, but I really try to watch those elk's heads and in which way they're looking and, and I try to draw when nothing's looking at me and you have one chance when you draw that movement, they can pick up on it. But if they're staring at you, when you draw a lot of times they're going to bust and you can get away with more. And so, you know, there's a chance where you're in there, the elk know you're there, they're alerted looking in your direction. You know, in, in that instance, I'm going to try to move like the hands of a clock and move my bow as slow as I can and slowly try to get drawn back and shoot. But I'll tell you, it very rarely works for me. Once they know I'm there, the gig is up. I'm not going to get a good angle on that bull, that bull spook. And I always try. I'm always trying to get a, a shot after they blow or try over the next ridge. Hardly ever works. Like when it when it comes together for me, they have no idea I'm there. And like, I killed a big Idaho bull last year and, and this bull, um, he did bed in the open. I watched him the night before drop down into a sage flat and, uh, he's with a bunch of cows. And I, I spent three hours that day, you know, crawling through the sage to get close. But as I got close and got into bow range, like the, the, where I, where I really closed the deal was how slow I was able to, you know, I, I was there, I crawled in, I had a little cover with the sage. And then what I try to do is have my elbows on the ground and I try to get my knees underneath me to where then I'm, I'm sitting on my knees or sitting on my feet. And then I'm just watching those elk. And as those elk are looking away, nothing's moving. Then I'm trying to tilt my bow up and I'm trying to get my bow to 90 degrees, like from a shooting position, just super slow. And then I'm raising myself up. And I, so I'm trying to do all this without getting busted. I'm trying to really watch their heads and really be patient. And when I finally got up, well, then they had no idea I was there. I was kneeling in bow range and there was like three bulls in there I would shoot. And it was just waiting for a chance at one. And once I did get up that chance at one, I'm not drawing when he's looking in my direction. You know, I'll just wait, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to wait for a better opportunity. And so just being that patient and really waiting for that good time to bend the limbs back when nothing's looking at you. And, and I screwed up a really good bowl last year with a sticker. Um, I'd like to blame it on my cameraman, but I got a little overzealous on drawn on this bowl. So I had a bowl, 
Um, I snuck in on his cows. He was a great one, really nice six point and had a devil like sticker point off his four really nice bull. I wanted to shoot and I got into range of his cows and they didn't know I was there. And I got knelt by this tree and I had a cameraman behind me. We were trying to capture the thing. And, um, the cows were there and they fed and they fed and they fed nothing new. I was there. Nothing new. I was there. Everything's in bow range. And I haven't seen the bull now since I've snuck into range. I haven't seen the bull. I don't even know if he's still there. And then all of a sudden here he comes, you know, and I had this bull if I just would have been more patient. So the bull kind of went to our right and he went to go chase off another bull, like a little five point or something. And, and I asked my cameraman if he has him, and he said yes. And the bull kept walking, and he was broadside. And I had the cows looking at me to my right, but I figured this was my chance. And I drew back, and as soon as I drew back, I heard my cameraman say, I don't have him. And I was like, so now I'm stuck at full draw, and all those cows saw me draw. Like, I'm busted. So, you know, I, I let down, and the minute I let down, the cows spook, the bulls spook. It all blows up. We don't kill the bull. But I really should have been more patient. I was right on those cows in bow range. And I, I lost, you know, I wanted that bull so bad. And he walked by at 50 yards. And in, in, I mean, I guess you got to look to seize opportunities when you get them. But it wasn't the perfect scenario either. It was like he was coming to our right, barely went by a tree. It was almost like I was trying to force it in there. And, and when I drew back, I could have shot that bull. If he would have had him on film, it would have been a dead bull. But he, he was tucked behind me in some green limbs, and I should have known that he didn't have the best shot either. But if I just would have waited and been more patient, that bull would have chased that other bull off. He would have returned to his cows. He would have given me a 30, 40-yard shot wherever those cows were, you know. And I, I just, um, you know, it, it, almost like I tried to force it. But just the more patient you can be, with trying to get those limbs bent back and trying to put that pin on the bull, just the better off you are. Like it seems like anytime you're you're trying to hustle or trying to force it, and sometimes elk hunting, you are running. Sometimes they go over a ridge and it's like, if I can get to that ridge, I can shoot them from the top. But you're you're never, you know, when it comes down to closing a deal, I'm never drawing my bow and walking around a tree. I'm never drawing my bow and standing up. I'm never making that big movement. Wherever I'm at, I'm trying to make as little movement as possible. And so just try to get yourself into that shooting position and try to get drawn without those elk seeing you. Like that's really the key for me. And, and sometimes they catch you in that little bit of movement and drawing and they look over at you and everything's in the perfect position and you can execute your shot and it comes together. But they really pick up on that movement. So just be careful, especially if they're alert. A lot of times I, I just like to wait it out, just wait for that that good shot. And also wait, you know, elk are big animals, but people lose their composure on elk. Like they're big, they're screaming, things happen fast. They're running here, they're running there. And so, you know, keeping your cool on a bull, a bull is the toughest animal, at least for me, that I've ever tried to kill with a bow. Like if you don't hit them in lungs, heart, or liver, they don't die. I've seen a bunch of buddies go through heartache. Bulls, you need to make perfect shots on. So they're big targets, but you have to make the most precise shot. And I know that, and I hold myself to that because I know you know, elk are such big, strong animals. If I hit that shoulder, I'm not getting through. And um, so I know I've got to put a money shot halfway up the body on those elk, you know, and so I really wait for the right angle, that right broadside quartering away. Can you kill an elk in the front? Sure, you can kill an elk in the front, but it's such a small spot that you're aiming for that if you miss that spot, you know, you're in for the lowest of lows, you know, of not killing that bull or not being lethal. And and so, you know, maybe in self-defense at five yards, I take that shot. But man, I just, I look for that broadside or that quartering away, that good angle where I can just run a good arrow through that bull where I know, you know, he's going to bleed out. And so patience waiting for that right angle too. Um, but it, it's way easier said here on your podcast than it is out in the field uh, because you're you're always trying to kill one of those things too. No, for sure, man. That's, uh, Hey, you know, not to get down a wormhole here, but Brian, I do want you to just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, I, I've listened to several of your podcasts. Um, and I know that you, um, um, use a back tension release. Um, and I just, you know, I think I texted you a couple of weeks ago and I told you, I kind of made a switch over to it and man, I've just seen a tremendous improvement in my shooting and, and I know that you uh, hunt with one as well. Um, just briefly, you just want to talk about that a little bit and, you know, how, and, and I, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you said you were, you were using it to hunt with as well. Is that correct? Or, um, I use a, a back a tension. There's yeah. A I, I use a thumb, but I use it in total back tension style, gotcha. um, never cheating it, uh, never making it go. So yeah. So this is a wild deal. Um, so, so triggers, for for beginner archers, for archers in general, a trigger release and being able to put your your pin on the bullseye and say now and have it go right there, it, it's the most accurate release out there. And and so the deal is is just the longer we shoot, when we first start out, it's really accurate. We kill animals, we don't have any issue. But what happens is is it's like the brain, and the brain like um all of a sudden it doesn't let your pin go to the bullseye. All of a sudden your brain starts to anticipate that every time that pin gets on the bullseye, you say now, and you do that hundreds and hundreds of times. And really the more you practice and the more you shoot, the worse it gets. And so all of a sudden we develop these skills and we're this efficient hunter. And and all of a sudden we start to break down and now we can't hold our pin on the bullseye. It's like our mind has our pin allergic to the bullseye where now you're having to fight it to the bullseye and make it go now, make it go now. And you're getting these nervous twitches trying to make it go when it gets close. And so all of a sudden we develop these bad habits, which are called target panic and target panic comes in many different forms. For me, it meant holding my pin would settle at six o'clock, just low of the bullseye. And I would have to fight it up. And I was able to fight through it. But I told myself, if I could hold my pin on the middle of the bullseye, I'd be the best shot out there because that thing is rock solid below the bullseye. And it was just my mind not allowing my pin to go there. And so I took on this this back tension shooting. And this back tension shooting, uh, you know, I, everybody's got to learn on a true – well, not everybody. It's not the way you have to learn. But I recommend that you start on a true back tension release that releases with pressure. And it's the pressure which you build between pulling and pushing the bow and the shot breaks. And, um, you know, I may think I control a trigger good and then you shoot a back tension and it is eye-opening what a true back tension release is. And so, you know, through this, like, uh, you know, I always, you start with blind bailing, getting a feel for that release, just feeling a good shot. You start incorporating aiming again. And when you have to aim, all of a sudden you can't choose when that shot goes. You have to hold your pin on the middle and let it float and pull, pull, pull until the shot breaks. And, and through this, sometimes it feels like you're trying to pull a million pounds. It feels like your release is broke just because your brain's – I agree. <laughs> yeah, like this is all fresh for you, right, Kyle? Because oh, yeah, you're just man. going through this, right? So, so I'm describing it for you. So fresh. But anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so um, you have to continue to pull and continue to aim at that middle, but it, it lets your brain relax. It lets you aim at the middle of the bullseye again. It lets you get okay with your pin floating around. And it's amazing. As much as your pin floats, when that shot breaks, that arrow usually ends up in the middle. And, and actually, it's a better way to deal with pressure. Like uh, you talk about pressure shooting, you look at uh, all the indoor archers and 3D archers, and there's some exceptions that'll shoot a trigger. Most guys are shooting a, a back tension style release, whether that's a hinge, a thumb, uh, uh, or a true back tension, because it's accurate. All of a sudden, you don't have good and bad days of shooting. Like they all just blend together into this even shooting where your groups, all of a sudden you don't have flyers and they just end up in the middle in the group and then shooting high pressure. Like I just got done with these elk hunting summits where one of the competition is beat Brian Barney. So they have the coaches, they have, uh, you know, over 30 guys that are coming to this elk hunting hunting summit. So everybody's gunning to beat me on the line. And how we do it is, is we set up a 3d target, like an elk target this year, it was a sheet and we draw with an eight inch pie plate, the vitals in the middle. If your arrows in that eight inch pie plate, you get to stay in the game and you start shooting at 20 yards, then 30 and you get one arrow. So it's really high pressure, everybody on the line. And, you know, that back tension style shooting, it, it wins out every time. Like, I, I don't feel the pressure like the other guys do. And, and, and two, I shoot a bunch and I've really honed my skills, you know. And, and also, I'm, I'm comfortable in the pressure. But it shows these guys shooting under pressure how tough it is. And, and it's amazing to see guys go out at 40 and 50 and 60 yards, shots that they'd usually make. But just because that pressure is more, that pin doesn't aim as good. And then trying to choose where it goes – 
it, it just isn't as consistent of a way to shoot. And so this is a weird one and you have to get a little bit worse before you get better, but committing to this back tension style, teaching yourself how to shoot with that or a hinge or a thumb, it allows you to aim at the middle again and then you just have to believe in it like I believe in it. I believe if I put that pin where it needs to go and I pull on that that release correctly, that animal dies. There just are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So for me, even if it takes me, you know, what's it take me another one second, two seconds in my shot process to wait on that shot to go? And to be honest with you, with a back tension release shooting at an animal, that shot breaks quick. Like you put the pin where it needs to go and you go through your steps, but there's no waiting for the shot to break. That arrow is off and on its way, you know, unless it's like an extreme downhill or something like that. I've My experience is shots break quick, but through this process I've built, I've been able to aim at the middle again. I've been able to get uh, really solid groups, um, get rid of my flyers, re- be a real consistent shooter. And, and really it's made me the shooter I am, but it, it's not an easy process. It's one that you have to believe in and commit to. But for anybody that that's having trouble and if you are shooting a you can shoot a trigger in a back tension style and don't get me wrong you can shoot a trigger very well and so if you don't have any problems aiming at the middle it, you don't you don't need to go through back tension just remember to let that pin aim and to squeeze on your trigger if you think of a rifle like when you shoot at the range you're supposed to let that scope flo- float and then squeeze on the trigger until it till it shoots till that shot uh i want to say the shot breaks that's a bow but until that uh, shot cracks out of the rifle but you know that's how you're taught to shoot that's the same way you need to shoot your bow let that pin float on that middle and squeeze that trigger so maybe you'll be one of the lucky ones that doesn't get target panic and you can shoot a trigger really really well um but for guys like me that develop a bit of target panic and can't make their pin aim um and like I say, I believe in it. It's a really consistent way to shoot. All the top archers in the world shoot this way. Um, so, so for me, it was a journey, but I'm on the other side of it now, and um, I absolutely love it. So if anybody's having target panic issues, this is the way. Just remember, don't cheat these releases as you're learning to shoot back tension style. If you start cheating them, your brain will know there's a cheat code, and all of a sudden, you won't be able to aim with this release. And I don't know where you go after you can't make these releases uh, uh, shoot in in that style. So if you're going to do it, you have to commit to it and do it the right way. So how fresh is that for you, Kyle? Oh man, literally everything you just said is hundred percent true. And I will, you know, not to, I know we're kind of getting down a wormhole here, but I just want to bring this up because I, I, my recent experiences have just totally changed like my shooting and everything. And, um, and yeah, it's just, I had literally exactly the same problem as you, Brian, like, you know, shot bows since I was, well, 12 i mean since i was could walk basically i mean i've shot a bow and um switched to a compound probably i don't know 12 years ago used to shoot a recurve and a longbow when i was growing up and but uh yeah the uh but i yeah just started developing this words exactly like you said six o'clock that's where my pin lived (laughs) and it's like no matter what i did no matter what i tried to do you know and um it it would not move from that position until you know you you can kind of force it up there and it's and it's exactly like I said you sort of force it up there and then boom you just the shot goes it's just there it is and and I I was kind of same as you I could I could I could get by I could I could do okay you know it, I could make it in general do what I needed it to do but um but yeah but just since man just the last month or month and a half I've really just committed to it and it's made a big difference and and I will echo too what you said about if you try to cheat it you can definitely cheat it um and I've certainly noticed that like you know once in a while I'll have a shot where I'm like you know you really didn't do what you were supposed to do there you know <laughs> it's just like old habits creep in and so you just try to reset and say no no that's not what I do I draw back pull 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 boom shot breaks it's not a it's not a, oh, I can tweak it, the, the release this way and make it go. And, you know, because then it's no different than, you know, than what you were using before. Basically, it's just a whole lot more movement and, you know, but uh, anyways, so, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that quick. But thanks for thanks for that insight, too, Brian. I appreciate that. So. Yeah, no worries. Glad it hit home. Yeah, um, it 
it's fun when you see the other side of it and uh, are able to aim your pin in the middle again. And it's so advantageous on animals too, because when those pins hang low on animals, all of a sudden you're hanging on that belly line and it's just tough to get that shot to go where you want it to go. It's so nice when you draw back and you put the pin right on the center of the animal and then it floats right in there. You just know it's a dead animal. So I I have no doubt that it's going to pay huge dividends to you in the future. So yeah, good on you for committing to it and just improving your archery. Like you say, you can get by and kill some critters, but it's not being the absolute best archer you can be, you know? So, um, good on you, man. Thanks, man. Um, I'm sort of being a little selfish here too, Brian. So obviously I mentioned I'm going on my first elk hunt this year and we're going out to Idaho. Um, so pretty excited about that. My dad and I, and, um, a couple of his buddies are going out there, but I guess, you know, for, um, you know, a lot of NBA members, basketball hunter association members. I mean, some of us have certainly been, been elk hunting before and, but many of us haven't. And, um, you know, would you just, I mean, I know, you know, I know you've been elk hunting many, many years and have killed a lot of tremendous bulls. And what advice would you have just for, you know, the average guy going out there, um, or strategies or whatever, just as far as like, you know, just somebody that wants to go out there and just kill an elk, I guess. What, uh, what thoughts do you have on that? Yeah, I think, um, I think just locating them, you know, and, and, and not that you can't use calling, especially when you're looking to kill any bull, but I just have all those, those, those tricks in your toolbox, like all those things that you, you've heard about the, the calling sequences, the stocking, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't throw stocking at, I mean, that's all I do. And it really puts me in range of a lot of different elk. Um, I, I'd say like the, the toughest part about elk is just putting yourself into them consistently. Like I say, they're nomads in the mountains. And so, um, you know, you need to be a nomad as well. You need to go check out elk country, uh, cover drainages, do walks, uh, do all the little things, be there at first and last light. That's when you spot elk, you know, is, is when they're moving first and last light. So really be up on those vantage points early, be up on those vantage points late, um, do a lot of looking with your eyes. Don't be afraid to look long distances. Elk stick out. They're bleach blonde. You can see them from a long ways off. Um, a lot of times my spotting scope, I'll sit back from the range five, 10 miles and I'll just find elk and then I'll go walk to them. You know, it's like once I know they're there, then I'm putting myself into elk. But, um, I, I just say, you know, locating them, just finding those spots, doing that e-research, having the plans and backup plans and, and, and backup plans to the backup plans of where you're going to go and the places you're going to look at. And eventually you're going to get your chance. You're going to locate elk. You're going to get to play the game. You're going to get to try to figure out how you're going to move in on them or, you know, use those, those instincts and every situation is going to be a different. And I, again, you're just going to have to adapt to what they give you. Just really look for what your best opportunity is. But um, locating those elk, giving yourself a chance, morning and night, sitting behind your glass, just believing you're going to see them. Um, you know, and then listening for them too. Uh, another one of my tricks I use is um, you know, I try to get on the elk schedule. Middle of the day is not real productive for elk hunting. Uh, elk hunting is taking place at morning and night and you'll catch some freak days where the elk will be active nearly all day long. They'll bugle all day long, but that's not the norm. Mostly the norm is, is that, uh, seven o'clock elk are bugling, elk are rutting, elk are moving. Um, by nine o'clock, they're putting away to bed by 10 o'clock. Nothing's making any noise. Everything's bedded down. You're not glassing any elk, uh, from about 10 o'clock to then four o'clock. So there's this lull in the middle of the day. And I'll cover some country. I don't rule out country in the middle of the day. And I try not to like just move through a bunch. I'll sit on a big vantage point and just look and see if anything pokes out. And they do get up throughout the day. And so you can spot elk middle of the day, but it's really putting your focus to that morning and night. And then, you know, once it gets dark, like I'm, uh, um, I'll, I'll go to drainages and I'll listen in drainages at dark, like even 10, 11 o'clock, like after it's dark and you're done hunting as you're walking back to camp or as you're getting close, like go listen over a little, a uh, little hill over there, go listen into, like I call it an amphitheater, like a, a basin and just see if you can hear any bugles echoing from that thing. If you hear bugles, you know where you're going in the morning and in the morning, you're going to put yourself into elk. So use those nights to kind of listen to them and same thing in the morning. You need to be up hours before light. 
and, and covering country and getting yourself to the spot for daybreak and listening as you're walking in there and, and listening for him and, and looking for him. If you can locate elk, you can kill elk. You got to be able to see him to kill him. Um, so those, those would be kind of my top tips for, for hunting those things. And don't be afraid. Like, uh, you're going so much during the night that I'm not afraid to take an hour nap in the middle of the day. If I'm not seeing anything, catch up on that sleep. So then you can go hard at night to try to locate them. But really you've got your morning hunt, your evening hunt, and then you've got your night hunt. So you've actually got three a day to try to locate elk and find them. So use that to your advantage. No, definitely. That's good advice for sure. Um, well, um, Zach, you got any more, uh, burning questions? Sorry. We kind of hijacked the, the, uh, the conversation here. Zach's like, Hey guys, I'm just going along with it. That was all really good information. I mean, I, man, you hit, you hit everything on the head. Zach, heck of a bull too. I remember that um, six point you killed in Nebraska, right? Or did it have seven or something? But it was a really good dark horn mature bull, right? Yeah, he was a six. He, yeah, I killed him two years ago. I actually drew. He was on the super tag. Is how I killed that bull. So uh, yeah, I felt really fortunate to kill that one. That was a heck of a hunt. Yeah, we had him bugling inside of ten yards twice and couldn't get a shot because it was too thick ended up killing him at 51 but yeah yeah he Wish had kind of a big old bladed or that not a bladed but that giant yeah. was that his third on his right side yeah, or his third was bladed and then on the other side he had i think it was a 24 inch third on the other side that kind of came out and swooped back in he was a funky looking bull and his one base sat four inches forward in front of the other one he he had all kinds of stuff going on but yeah Man, what a bull. Yeah, I remember that was a big mature bull. I remember seeing it now. Um, yeah, uh, how cool. So, yeah, you can relate. Uh, bugling inside of 10 yards and tough to get a shot on. I end up shooting them at 51, but it's just adapting to what they give you. But those those bulls during the rut, man, there's nothing more exciting, is there? Oh, I know. Yeah, that was my first elk hunt, and I remember just hearing that first bugle. And, man, it when I heard that first bugle, I was like, I want to hunt elk every year I possibly can the rest of my life. I mean, it was just addicting. I mean, it's when they, I, I'm huge into turkey hunting and I love calling in stuff and just having animals respond to you and to have a 700 pound animal that comes screaming into you like that, responding to your calls, man. I, after doing that one time, I, I want to elk hunt every single year I possibly can. It's, it's something else. Man, that's magic when they come into the calls too. That's an exciting way to kill elk, you know, and when you can call them in like that, that interaction is really exciting. So you get, you, you get doses of, doses of adrenaline as that bull answers you back. But when he comes in like that on a string, there's nothing else like it. Oh, yeah, I agree. Kyle's, Kyle's going to be in for a treat. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I've been waiting 30 years to go elk hunting, so it's finally finally gonna happen so i'm pretty excited <laughs> oh good on you man uh you are you are in for a treat yeah he's right about that uh you're gonna like it it's gonna be tough it's gonna be grueling but it's gonna be fun and exciting and thrilling too you know yeah yeah i'm excited can't uh, be able to share with my dad and stuff that'll be a lot of fun and so i'm uh i'm pretty pumped but um well again Brian, thank you so much. Um, man, just so much good information. Um, just went over in the last hour or so we've been on here. So I just want to thank you again for, you know, I know you're busy. I know you got your podcast and I know you're, you know, guests on a lot of different podcasts and you have all these, you know, uh, you know, I just know you're just at the Western hunting summit and stuff. And so just really appreciate you taking your time to, um, to be on here with us. So thank you. Yeah, anytime. My pleasure. So um, with that, uh, go ahead and just end this recording portion. Um, I guess this is Kyle Clomer. So. And this is Zach Welch. And this is? Good Life Bowhunter, official podcast of the NBA. Very good. Thanks again, Brian, and we'll see you guys. Yep, thanks.